0: Hi, everyone. David Veach, one of the most deep and thoughtful people I've encountered in a really long time who really care about developing principle-driven work in a workplace. And he believes that work should provide a meaningful purpose for people, and leaders need to carefully design jobs to do that and he's the founder of Leader Sites, and he's been in the business for a really long time. We talk about the wisdom in the machine and what the heck does Darwin have to do with all of this? Listen to David. He is one of the wisest people I have ever met. Enjoy.
1: suite radio
0: hi everyone it's Christina DiGiacomo and this is wise up with Christina and I'm here with David Beach who I am really excited to talk to because I look at David as a philosopher of process and we'll get into what that means in just a moment but you know We don't think of process as something that could be philosophical, but I think that David has really cracked the case on this, and I believe that his ideas are really groundbreaking and original and impactful, and so that's why I invited him to talk uh, with us on on Wise Up and tell us more about his work, and we can kind of nerd out about it. Hi, David.
1: Hi, Christina. Thanks for having me on. This is very exciting. I'm looking forward to this for a long time.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you for saying that. So, you know, when you and I started talking about your work and your background, uh, it started to get really deep. And you've got some pretty serious roots in the the process and how to get things done and looking at um, things it, getting things done and, and, and project management and even beyond from a very holistic level, but also from a deep level. And there's kind of a history to your study and your work. So can you just let everyone know a little bit more about, you know, the, the crux of your work and your background?
1: Yeah, the crux of what I do is, is I want to help leaders make work meaningful for everyone. So I don't want anybody to have a crappy job that they don't look forward to going to. Uh, and the biggest contributor that I found to that is the systems that we create as leaders and the behaviors that we exhibit as leaders. And so I've kind of focused on those things. Um, and that's where that's where this philosophy piece came. Um, a lot of people get hung up on philosophy as that, that boring class you took first or second year of college, and it's just way beyond what is the no practical stuff in this, but, but everything about a philosophy drives behavior. Everything about a philosophy gets results. And if you, if you understand that, that your systems are fed by certain principles, then you can know how to tweak them for any kind of environment and you can adjust more quickly. You can be much more dynamic and you can be much more responsive to any customers just because you understand the principles that you're building from. And so I've tried to make, uh, a deliberate study of systems like that. Um, and uh, my primary target, uh, as I told you before, was Toyota. Um, I retired from the Army in 2001, uh, and I started teaching at the University of Kentucky right off the bat. And they gave me a, an ID card for the university, and a couple months later I got a badge to get into Toyota, the Toyota plant in Georgetown, Kentucky, 12 miles down the road. Right, And they said, we're doing research on the Toyota production system, they're partners of ours, go and learn, okay. Um, And that was as specific as they got. Um, So I really got to go and pick what I wanted to look at. And uh, uh, I was working within the College of Engineering uh, and the engineers took all the technical stuff, all the so-called fun stuff. Uh, So that left me to look at, well, how do they take care of their people? Um, How are they organized? Uh, How do they develop leaders? How do they solve problems? Uh, How do they do quality circles? How do they do suggestions? And so I studied all of those kinds of things. And and the things that I kept discovering uh, as I was not only doing that, but working on a PhD in, uh, in educational psychology, I got to see how all these dots from both of these very divergent fields, how they were so similar at certain key points. And it was at that, that system level or that philosophical level that I started seeing those connections. And that just kind of fed my urge to learn more. And I've been studying things like that ever since.
0: So I just want to make sure that this is not lost on anyone. Because, see, I get really excited about it. But I just want to make sure that people, people are really getting what you're putting down. Because essentially what you've found is, for lack of a better expression, the philosopher in the machine, right? The Like the, the the intention in the machine, like what is the driving force behind the way things move from point A to point B, how people move from point A to point B, and that the, the fact that there needs to be a driving principle or set of principles uh, or or, or an underlying philosophy and how things uh, are integrated, how systems connect to each other, how people connect to each other and get work done. Uh, I really have never heard or seen or read anyone kind of thinking in that way. And I have a... you're laughing at me just so everyone I'm not knows, laughing. I'm just okay. smiling. I'm just, just so, okay. You're smiling at me just so everyone knows he's smiling at me. But the reason why I say that is I, I have a background in organizational development and organizational change management. So, you know, I've seen uh, a number of, of different, uh, approaches to systems thinking, to process thinking, and have never really had anyone dig so deep and reach so deep to, to think about we have to come from a core base of ideas and agreements uh, in order to make this whatever it, whatever it is, this process, this system, and these people work you usually hear about core principles when you're talking about communication strategy or getting buy-in or employer brand or, you know, all of those, you know, or maybe even to some extent, like at the leadership level and and so on. But but when it comes to the machinations of things getting done, I just have never heard anyone talking like that. That's so why I'm so excited about you know, what you're doing.
1: That's the whole thing though, though Christina, it's, um, what makes an organization and what makes a culture, right? We all talk about uh, organizational culture as if it's some mysterious gassy phenomenon, but it's, it's something we can actually shape, right? And it has to be shaped based on the way we build our own philosophy. It's not like we have to just follow some Eastern roots or anything like that. It's what are the key things that are most important for us as an organization, And then there, uh, with every philosophy, we kind of teased out these up. Uh, There are some basic foundational, unifying, axiomatic ideas, right? Uh, That uh, are unchanging over time, right? So these are the key things that will keep this organization going, keep this philosophy rooted deep. Um, And then from that, we flow a series of principles, uh, and the principles, you know, you can't have you can't have too many principles. I mean, it's not like the rules of the system. These are the things that really guide the thinking and the behavior. And then following from the principles are all these little systems and tools that have to work together for people to actually engage with the work and to, like you said, get things done. But it doesn't matter what work that you do. Uh, it doesn't matter where you do it. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you have people in the organization, and you have to, they are driven by the way that they think. And if we can shape that thinking a little bit by saying, here's our underlying philosophy, here are our axiomatic principles, here are our systemic principles, and here are the tools that we choose to use, then we can get the kind of behavior that we need that shapes the kind of culture that we want. So if we haven't defined that philosophy... Um, we're not going to be able to make as much progress as if we were just kind of thrashing about, which is typically our approach to change. Is let's thrash about a little bit. Oh no, this is happening. Let's do this. Um, so this is this is like the foundational principle um, in uh, in an industrial setting. Though um, a lot of guys are pretty hardcore and you mentioned philosophy and their eyes roll back in, in their head. It's like, they don't really kind of get that. That's what drives everything. So you have to kind of change the language a little bit to keep them engaged a little bit more, keep them curious to go deeper. And so, um, with that, um, I use philosophy in my definition of operational excellence. Um, so lean is a, a philosophy that drives success by the continuous creation of value. Um, this, then I go on to explain that, that philosophy uh, defined is the love of or search for knowledge and wisdom. So it's all about learning, and it's all about using our brains, which you know most normal people call thinking, right? So Toyota used to call their Toyota production system uh, the thinking production system, because it required every operator in the organization to bring their brain to work every day, and you know that's that's remarkably different. Because for the past hundred years, we've built organizations that essentially require intelligent operators to park their brain at the door, because if they get too engaged in what they're doing, they're going to run up against somebody who doesn't like. That they're thinking, and they're going to try to shut them down. Um, so Ford did it by micro. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, by making the steps of work uh, micro steps instead of building the full car. You know, 1908, when he really he made 10,000 cars in 1908. That was unheard of, right? And they were expensive by today's standards. But the operators would build the entire car. A team of maybe eight men would build the entire car from nothing. Well, people like the car, right? So demand starts skyrocketing, and this takes a long time to get to the skill level that you need. And so he had to find a new way to make these cars, and he invented the moving assembly line that I'm sure most folks are familiar with. Uh, But what what really drives me crazy about the way that this evolved was – he took the most qualified people in the organization, the guys who could build a car from air to a complete car, right? Super skill level. And he put those same guys on the line where they did one job for eight hours a day. And you got to wonder, I mean, what does that do to your cognitive capacity? What does that do to your ability to think? And if you start thinking and start saying that, hey, man, this would work better doing this and that, but the manager says, hey, just put your head back down and work. It's hard to drive that kind of improvement. Now, Ford got all kinds of improvement, but he got it from engineers and he got it from managers, not from the vast majority of the brainpower in his organization.
0: So I just want to jump in here because you've touched on a lot of themes and I kind of want to package it up and, and feed it back to you. So your belief is... And your belief around work has to do with starting from principle and starting from a, a unified core philosophy, however that is defined, uh, among leadership and obviously a number of stakeholders. And, and, and I include employees as stakeholders, but yeah. starting from a core philosophy. So already you're speaking my language. Uh, and how that manifests and is expressed in the work is through a learning-based culture. So, you know, my, my definition of philosophy is it's a protocol for engaging with the world. And thank you. And so since it's a protocol for engaging with the world, industrial philosophy or the, the work that I do is a protocol for engaging with the work, which is very, very similar to, you know, your, your idea and how you're defining core principles and how it works in, in, a, in a systems-based approach. So there, so there's that, but what you're also kind of taking into account is a, a, is a like culture of inquiry and a teaching culture. So, and a learning culture because the, search for knowledge has to be part of the system in order for there to be an improvement of the system and for there to be further productivity and further success and and so on and and, and a healthier culture because when people are learning wonderful
1: summary I'm right thank on you there.
0: so when people are learning they're happy and and so what you were just saying about ford in terms of creating a situation where the collective brain trust is not being utilized or leveraged to its full potential uh, that's where you know you get eventually a system that is unsustainable and not innovative because you're not growing the knowledge base or using the the Base of understanding and expertise to the level of its capabilities, and
1: it's not organic. It's not organic to the organization. You have to get that somewhere else.
0: Right? Did I summarize that okay?
1: That was awesome. (laughs) I think I think people are still going to be wondering. Okay, what the hell you're talking about? Philosophy for this? For so so. Let me give you a couple of of clear and contrasting examples. Okay. Love it. I love stories. um, Number one. we get to choose whether we are going to lead organizations that are market-driven or organizations that are customer-driven and we have to be able to define the differences between market-driven and customer-driven because a lot of people say wait a minute isn't the customer the market like well no the customer is the customer the customer is the user the customer is the one who wants something Particular and you know, these days customers are pretty particular about wanting something just for them, it's got to be unique and it's got to be special. So, in a mass manufacturing environment like Ford created, it's kind of hard to get that high degree of customization for each customer. Uh, It was much easier uh, for organizations to be market focused, and that means I am going to make a product that I want to make and I'm going to try to sell it to whoever will buy it, and that's the market. Um, Building from that market focus is um, the way we behave with publicly traded companies, right? So we say the stock market drives a lot of behaviors and the things that that we focus on as those, the axiomatic piece of our philosophy in a market-driven organization is, is profit competition. And the key player is the corporation, the entity. So I got to do everything I can to preserve the corporation. Um, doesn't really matter what that looks like, but that corporation is distinct and clear and it's going to last forever. Corporations do our profit motive makes us do things that minimize our costs, Regardless of the um, side effects, uh, we minimize our cost to maximize that profit. And because it's um, it's kind of cutthroat in there as we're trying to offer the same kinds of things that so many other people are, competition becomes the norm. And not only are we competing as an organization against all the other organizations in that market, what that underlying behavior does is it drives that competition between the individuals in the organization. So now I've got competition within the C-suite, right? So I can, I want to be the next CEO. Maybe I don't have the stuff to pull it off all on my own. So I might do things that actually undermine my teammates. Um, And that is witnessed throughout the organization we if you've got an organization that's based on competition it is universally destructive so competition is great for sparking innovation and things but it's got to be managed competition and if it, if we leave it to fester internally competition always destroys organizations from the inside out yes ma'am
0: so i just want to take a take a pause because I believe there's been this legacy idea about the market or about competition that actually ties to this misinterpretation of Darwin's, you know, theory of evolution, right? I I wish I remember the name of this. It's like an old-timey industrial Uh, industrial era uh, magnet businessman who said survival of the fittest. He took a Darwinian principle that was so niche in Darwin's entire theory and used it as a, as a justification for spurring like competition and policy and, you know, business tactics and it became this prevailing idea among business that of this sort of competition. when in actuality, what is what I've seen as a shift is that cooperation and collaboration among organizations that may be adjacent, that may be complementary, you know, companies that are coming together and and cobbling together these little consortiums and doing business together are actually able to weather change and having much higher success rate and profitability than the industries that are extraordinarily competitive. And also those Organizations that have collaboration and cooperation as a defining principle, their cultures are healthier, their employees are happier. So, you know, what you're saying rings so true in the in the notion that competition is an absolutely destructive force. And I would argue it's because competition is not what is inherently natural to us as human beings and how we organize and how we interact with each other.
1: That's right. Because If we just look at natural systems, you can see um, those that that prosper and thrive uh, are all collaborative. I mean, root systems for forests. Uh, Now, you can say that there there are um, predators and they compete for limited resources, um, but there's a balance that gets struck in that natural system. So um, I think that's a wonderful observation. And, And if we can be we can learn lots and lots and lots from from natural systems. I read a book called "The Living Company" by Ari de Geis um, about a hundred years ago. Uh, he was an executive from Shell, uh, the oil company and he 's writing about um, the the organic nature of the organization itself uh, and it was uh, it was fabulous. I sent a, an encouraging word email to all of my friends. Uh, a few weeks ago where I pulled a little snippet where he he was talking about, oh, I can't can't remember what he was talking about right away, but it was something about, oh, it was about playing. It was about playing. He said, it's okay. We learn best when we just play with things. So I said, hey, grab your toys and go play. So I've got a lot of stuff I use. I love Lego blocks. So I use a lot of uh, Lego blocks in my training things. So.
0: (sighs) I had a Lego collection when I was a little girl and I had a matchbox car collection also when I was a little girl, I was a total well, thank tomboy, you for
1: breaking those gender stereotypes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I had the, I had the biggest matchbox car collection in my neighborhood and I would build like whole towns with my Legos and then drive all my cars through, through. Yeah. I, I, I think
1: was, we would have gotten along great.
0: Yeah. I was like this <laughs> tiny little urban planner when I was eight, you know, but, it, yeah so so thank you so much for for nerding out with me a little bit on on competition and and cooperation in those systems I just want to make sure though you had mentioned you had a couple of examples you yeah. talked about market driven but you also talked about I don't know if you wanted to go and talk about customer driven or if you had another example that you wanted to share with us I want to make yeah. sure you had the had the chance i do
1: I want to bring that. out this this customer driven um, organization, uh, it's really just one thing that really changes everything. And then it's where the market driven, uh, organization has to focus on profit. The customer driven organization focuses on value. How do I deliver the most value to the customer? Because that's what keeps customers coming back. And when you, when you focus on that value, instead of just on squeezing out the profit and doing everything you can, Uh, A whole set, a whole new set of of principles flows from from value. Um, Value itself is something that I think we overlook an awful lot, even in organizations that do operational excellence. um, We were talking earlier about um, the emphasis on waste elimination for continuous improvement in most organizations. And uh, what typically happens... When an organization exclusively focuses on the waste elimination piece is they they pull a bunch of waste out and then they look around and say, oh, my God, we can do this work with half the number of people we got in here. So they lay off half the workforce. And if you lay off half your workforce, that is like cutting half your brain out if you value their input. So we go back to value piece. How can we create new value? then the axioms that come from that mean instead of focusing on the corporation as the primary entity, people become the primary entity and respect for people becomes the primary guiding leader behavior. And the other axiom is is improvement. Everything has to be improved. That value has to improve. We don't improve value by eliminating waste. We just reduce cost. We just reduce waste. We need to improve the value that we're delivering so that customers keep coming back. And, and we get principles there that, that change uh, considerably. So, in a market driven organization that's profit focused, we, we tend to have um, the need to immediately deliver things. This is something that's really driving me crazy with, with the popularity of Amazon right now. How many, how many Amazon fulfillment centers have been built in the past five years, and how much stuff. Is in there, and how many resources have we consumed and wasted by making stuff that's going to sit in that warehouse that no that people may never buy? Right. So we've we've cultivated this mass manufacturing mentality since the days of Henry Ford, um, including the way we account for things, including the way we do our industrial engineering. Uh, all of these different organizational psychology fields have been built in this mass manufacturing environment instead of thinking about a lean manufacturing environment mass says make as much as you need to make to absorb the cost of making this stuff lean says make what your customers need make what your customers are buying uh, and so if we focus on those key things then we got just in time principles and principles that focus on quality uh, focus it on leadership development and focus on employee engagement instead of doing it my way because i say it's the best way focusing on economies of scale and minimum purchased quantities and buying consortiums and those kinds of economy of scale kind of activities, instead of just understanding what I really have to do to deliver to my customer. And then from the people side, one of the more important principles in this um, customer driven value based organization is uh, the satisfaction of your team members. Um, Because what team, what satisfied team members do that dissatisfied team members don't do is they share their ideas and they report problems that they see. It's not that satisfied workers are more productive. We got 70 years of studies that show that there's no causal link between productivity and satisfaction, except that now they're saying, hey, when we're more productive, we tend to report more satisfaction. Not the other way around. So. I want to build a system that gets the productivity we need out, right? Um, But I want to focus on my people. I want to make sure I create a work environment that's very satisfying because then they're much more willing to share what's on their mind. Uh, If I have people sharing what's on their mind and I've got systems that allow us to take that input, do the right kind of analysis, and then implement those ideas and let people share in that benefit, uh, the energy that comes from that kind of organization is just unstoppable.
0: You're so passionate. I love it. But it's been such a pleasure talking to you, David. I seriously could talk to you all day. You're absolutely lovely and so smart. And I I just enjoyed talking to you. Is there anything else that you want to share?
1: Well, you know, I I would uh, I would love to help people understand this more. So and I, I can do that through speaking to small groups or large groups. I've got you know dozens of different workshops that uh, that I've been crafting over the past thirty five years um, that I love doing interacting with folks and building teams. Um, I'm, I've written a, a, most of this stuff down in my book, Leader Sites, which I would uh, would love for folks to go and buy that book and um, give me some feedback on it. Read through it, and I, I put a lot of ideas out there that are not the conventional way that people in certain fields have learned them. Right. And so when I, when I released the manuscript, I was like terrified because it's so easy to poke holes in all this stuff. Um, But um, fortunately I've gotten some, some really good feedback. Uh, The book, uh, even my wife, when when the books arrived, my sample books from the publisher arrived. Normally when I start talking about work, her eyes start rolling back and she's like, wow, wow, wow so um, she picked it up, she opened the box and she started reading through the the introduction in chapter one. And she said, wow, I understood everything you were saying in there. And I was like, that was, that was high praise. Um, that's so- serious.
0: That's a huge compliment. <laughs> if it passes the wife test, you actually might've put out something that's halfway decent. Just
1: kidding. So, and, now, and now I'm trying to build a, uh, I'm trying to build an online course around leader sites um, where I can kind of tease these out and offer it up. Hopefully that, uh, that'll be ready by maybe July. I'm hoping um, it's like a four-part series that I'm trying to create. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's fun learning and doing all this kind of stuff and getting all the technology behind it and, and putting a class online. Uh, so I'm looking forward to putting it out there, letting some people test drive it and give me some feedback so we can improve it, right? I got to meet the value needs of the, uh, of the customer. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do got to show them respect and got to improve it as as I go and got to have good information to do that. So thank you for allowing me to share all this stuff, Christina. This is, this has been a blast and I love it. I love having somebody who can actually share my passion about this kind of what really makes what's going on in your head and how does it come out at work? I love it.
0: Wonderful, David, your rivers run deep and you know, definitely look David up if you want something different. If you want to shake things up at your company and you want to do things differently or have just a, a different point of view, I really believe David is just not the same old, same old uh, stuff. And so definitely check him out. Hire him because he's also really nice and he's really smart. And uh, David, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for helping us wise up. Thank you, Christina.